0: Welcome to Headscarfs and Good Yarns with me, Amala Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn, you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora everyone. Um, I just wanted to hop on here and record a quick trigger warning before um, heading, diving deep into this episode. So, in this episode, um, we talk about Karen, the the meme, the iconic meme. And within this discussion, I talk about the book *To Kill a Mockingbird* by um, Harper Lee, and I briefly kind of summarize the um, plot of the book. And um, within the plot, there is uh, sexual assault. Um, in it I very briefly um, very briefly talk about it and don't go into any detail just kind of I just summarize the plot um, because it's helpful or it's helpful to know the plot of the book otherwise its contribution to the discussion of Karen's isn't as valuable but just wanted to put a quick trigger warning out there um, for all you tuning in um, you know, because you need to be kind to yourself and, um, I want the Headscast and Good Yarns listening experience to be a good one. Um, so just a trigger warning, um, if you choose to go forward with the episode, um, I hope you enjoy and if you don't and you stop here, I totally understand. Take care of yourself. Kia ora, assalamu alaikum, welcome to another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. Um, Before I get cracking into this week's content, I just want to thank you all for the feedback for last week's um, episode about the theory of racelessness. Um, Really cool feedback and it sounds like everyone's had really interesting conversations with their um, family and friends about the concept of race and... um, yeah just another way to kind of tackle this whole conversation around racism I think even for myself like the more I think about it the more it's uh like sinking in and I'm soaking up what it's actually about because it is a bit of a mind twister when you like first hear it um but then when it slowly like really starts to sink in it's actually really quite mind-blowing and um yeah I've been having lots of thoughts around you know what is my identity what is my culture like how do I choose to define myself and um what does it mean to be a Kiwi what does it mean to be a black woman what does it mean to be a Muslim what does it mean to be a Somali um and uh, yeah it's prompted all these kind of questions and it's actually quite interesting when you do look at um, racism outside of the definition of race, you get to see it um, more clearly and you can kind of understand the th- the things that are happening around it that, it, that has allowed it um, to be how it is now. You know, when you think about the social context, the historical context, the fact that it's just a result of you know colonization and just the human nature as well to always have a scapegoat and to always have people who are considered lesser than and how it's like filtered down into the this what we see now um in our current society so yeah thank you so much for your feedback um on the racelessness theory and um yeah I can absolutely do another episode on that um, diving deeper into the theory but actually making it more practical as well and like taking the theory and giving your some tools so you can have conversations about it and um, you know have some tools in your kit that you can have in your um, anti-racist toolkit because it is pretty pretty um pretty cool um this week's content is inspired by a chat that i had um with one of my friends and i'm not gonna dive deep into the details but she was just talking about this um micro that she um faced while at work and then um my like just my response and i didn't even think about it but just like my response was oh gosh like that's such Karen behavior and you know for me to just say that without really like reacting to her story like not responding but reacting just shows like how much it's ingrained into my my brain but i actually before i started doing research for this episode had no idea where the meme even came from the concept of a karen um but before we talk about where it even came from if you're tuning in and you're like what does it mean when someone says oh gosh that's just such karen behavior um what does it mean so usually a karen is a middle-aged pakeha woman who shows behavior that kind of stems from their like privilege and entitlement so things like wanting to speak to the manager um you know they they weaponize their privilege against people of color young people working class folks and since the pandemic there's been like this subclass of Karens that have emerged, the COVID Karen, um, you know, refuse to wear masks, uh, anti-vax, just generally think this whole COVID thing is overblown and it's just a cold and we should all get over it. Um, so, you know, when you think of that, and and it's usually associated with the the hairstyle as well, like the short, spiky at the back, but at the front, it's a kind of swept to the side. Oh, there was a a Karen. I think her name was Karen or maybe it was Kate. Um, And she had that show where she renovated hotels. I can't remember her name. I feel like it was also Karen, but it may have been Kate. If she, yeah, she, oh, maybe her name was Tabitha sorry guys i'm i'm on a tangent but anyways she like has a perfect example of a um of like a haircut that's associated with a karen um so anyways where did this meme kind of come from the internet doesn't actually have like a definite pinpoint as to where this meme came from but it sounds like it was kind of informed by lots of different sources so the first first like um, reference made to Karens and in a negative way um, can kind of be dated back to 2005 so in a Dane Cook comedy special he made a joke about um, Karens being the friend that no one likes and I think that he like uses some pretty coarse language so I'm not going to repeat it here but he, he had that comedy skit about how you just don't want to be friends with Karens um and then also there was a reddit as well like this anonymous person complained about their wife all the time and their like the wife was also called karen um, and how however like small or big or serious or funny quote unquote funny the behavior was like this person just complained about everything on this reddit um and it got quite popular i think like you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people were following so there's that and then also before karen was really coined that can i speak to your manager um that meme was referenced a lot and it's like the same hairstyle that i um mentioned before you know short spiky swept to the front um i switched swept to the site at the front, um, but that was in a specific context of, you know, when we, it's, you would call it a Karen now, but back then Karen wasn't associated with it. But, you know, uh, usually Pākehā woman would come in upset about something and would like demand to be, demand to speak to the manager. So then, yeah, so there was the, can I speak to your manager? And then I think the key thing that's, kind of led to uh karen being a thing is um just the rise of recordings so you know over the last decade or so it's been it's become a lot easier to film especially to film confrontations on our smartphones and fun thing i learned this recently thanks tiktok it's actually not illegal to record someone if you're in a public space because of the fact you are in a public space it's not private it's not their house so you know if something is going down and you feel the urge to uh, whip out your phone and to record it's not legal and how do i know this because of TikTok. but anyways again on a tangent um you know it is has become a lot easier to film confrontations on our smartphones and People upload it on social media um, because there's a greater reach. You know, you can reach out to um, people. There's a there's a, a huge community. Like, for example, um, especially within, like, the Muslim community, like, there's TikToks and I forgot the name of this platform. Gosh, I feel so old. But the one where you just can't join but someone needs to invite you, um, you know, Muslim women will, like, record things that have happened to them like really traumatic things like someone just coming up to them and ripping off their hijab um you know people saying horrible things like go back to your country blah 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 people record it and and post it um for solidarity and for support um but anyways people record these things um upload it onto social media um like for example um this happened Um, a wee while back and this woman was filmed recording the police or calling the police sorry when a black eight-year-old child was selling water without a permit and so she called the police um weaponizing her privilege and you know it went viral and uh this woman was called permit patty um but you know these videos these types of videos tend to go viral and people assign like a name to these perpetrators. Uh, There was another example where a woman called the police when a black family was having a barbecue um, and she was dubbed BBQ Becky. Um, A white woman who called 911 on a black dad at a football match, who was sitting in a golf cart, um, dubbed golf cart Gail. And so this happened a lot. And I think all of these names, um, distilled and Karen was the one that kind of stuck um and i think it's really interesting in the sense that now karen has been coined when you think of a karen or you think of karen behavior it's so wide range, ranging right it could be on one end of the spectrum of uh can i speak to your manager on the maybe in the middle point it's calling the police on um someone who, where you really actually don't need to call the police and you know what some of these videos you know like they're all innocent behavior right just selling water without a permit um sitting or having a barbecue all these sorts of things but some of these videos these women have these white women have called the police for allegations that are actually false allegations that are just straight up lies and the audacity to call the police but anyways so there's that and then on the other end of the spectrum you have direct attacks and purposely using the privilege and using it as a weapon so yeah you know it has it can describe a whole variety of behavior and I think that can make it um, confusing because you can have something as, you know, as if someone wants to speak to the manager and they're complaining about their service or whatever, I mean that's not saying anything about someone standing in society but if then you have someone who is weaponizing their privilege and making life really hard for someone else that's a whole nother ball game right to just complaining about the service or the lack of service whatever it was and you just want to speak to the manager and so I think the term Karen is actually it can be quite confusing um and I think when I think about this particular um, example that I'm going to go through with y'all, it just makes it even more confusing. So, on the 25th of May, um, uh, Christian Cooper was walking through Central Park in New York, and he ran into this woman called Amy Cooper. I've just realized that they have the same last name, but I can promise you there's no relation there. And... Amy Cooper had let her dog um, off the lead and it was a leash only area of the park and so then Christian goes up to Amy and asks her to put her dog back on the lead which is fair enough because it is a leash only area of the park and then Amy's response was to call the police. And I actually remember when this video went viral, because the manner in which she was calling the police, you know, yo, she was panicked. She sounded hysterical. Um, and she told the operators that operators, sorry, that there's an African-American man threatening my life. Quote, like, word for word. is exactly what she told the foreign um, operators and so Christian uh pulled out his phone and honestly fair enough because the camera does not lie um and it captures the nuances too right like it's not just words on a piece of paper like you could pick up the tone like she sounded as if really Christian had like a gun to her head Um, So Christian recorded the whole exchange, put it up on social media, and then um, from that moment um, forwards, um, Amy was dubbed uh, Central Park Karen. And on that same day, this happened on the same day, George Floyd was killed by police officers stepping on his neck. And um, I just yeah this is where it gets really um confronting right because you have this meme karen and, and you know memes are meant to be funny we don't really think about like I, you know some memes are there to be critical of society but generally memes are just something that you share you uh engage with for a short amount of time um, there's this connotation that it's funny, so therefore not really serious. And then you have the death of George Floyd, and that is paints like his death just kind of paints this whole picture of this systemic racism and uh, police brutality um that happens not only just in America. We'd like to think it's an American thing. Um, but it happens worldwide and it's just really confusing when you think about it, right? And so my question is, well, is this term Karen problematic? And I think it depends, yes and no. There have been um, some, there's been some criticism that the word Karen is um, comparable to the N-word hopefully you know what in what i'm talking about i personally don't use it and this is also a tangent but hopefully a helpful one so you know within my family there's a lot of us abdullahi kids there's eight of us and within like within our fano, there is a spectrum of those who do feel comfortable saying the n-word and don't and my reasoning for not feeling comfortable saying the n-word is that's actually is just not part of my history and i know it's confusing because i i have said on the show and i also identify as a black woman but there's a very big difference between african-american and um african slash you know somali history and in our history there actually has never been slavery um but unfortunately there is a lot of uh slavery in african-american history and you know that word doesn't have a pathway that kind of crosses with my history so i feel like i have no right to use it but you know what there are black people regardless of whether they're um african-american or not who are comfortable using that word as well so um you know we are not homogenous and it is very it's different for each person um but anyways i i digress so there have been comparisons to the n-word and i think that's absolutely ridiculous i mean there's so much pain and history and violence behind the n-word but it's literally just a meme I think they're just not on the same level like you know there have been protests in New Zealand recently over the vaccinations and and people are saying this vaccination mandate is um well actually i would I call it a mandate? I mean, it's just more your life is a lot more restricted if you're not vaccinated rather than you have to get the vaccination. Um, But anyways, there have been comparisons to the vaccination mandates and um, the Holocaust. And that is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's... They're just not even on the same level. Like, the amount of, of violence and pain and less than attitude that's been given to black people in our history is nothing compared to, um, you know, people being called a Karen. Usually it is middle-aged Pākehā women who are associated with being a Karen. But it's not even comparable. So I think that is not what makes... um, Karen problematic I think what makes Karen problematic is actually the tension between misogyny and racism like it's this weird in-between spot of being half oppressed and half accomplished and um maybe if I just talk about this particular case it will kind of highlight what I mean by this half-oppressed, half-accomplished thing. So, um, there was this infamous case in uh, 1955. So, Carolyn Donham, 21 years old, working in a store that she owned with her husband, Roy um, Bryant, in Mississippi. I'm not familiar with the, like, what the history and the the progressiveness is of each state in America. So I'm not too sure what 1955 Mississippi was like. Um, but if it was anything, if it was anything like what was already happening at the time, very segregated, um, obvious, overt racism. Anyways, so Carolyn and Roy owned the store together oh my goodness story (laughs) owned the store together um a black teenage boy walked into the store and then well actually what happens next is a bit of a mystery to be honest but um Carolyn's uh initial story was that this The teenager, Wolf, whistled at her. But then in the court, she said, and in the court was at a later date, she said he grabbed her, insulted her, and um, told her that he'd been with white women before. Um, And then decades later, after this court um, case, she actually said that she had made it all up and couldn't remember exactly what had happened. And... um, so horrible that she couldn't remember what had actually happened because it cost this boy's life. And Roy, the husband, um, hunted down um this teenage emphasis teenage boy and you killed him and his body was found days later and just I don't want to know the details of what Roy did, but his body was found mutilated. And um, his mother was very insistent on an open casket funeral because she wanted the rest of the world to see what had happened to her son. And her son's name was Emmett Till. So Emmett, Emmett Till died by Roy Bryant's hands and on the words of Carolyn Bryant Donham and so if we just want to recap what happened here a white woman's complaint led to a white male authority to um to be very violent on a black teenager's life and so violent to the point where he died and so violent to the point where his body was absolutely mutilated and the white woman that initially laid the complaint did not suffer any consequences at all um Roy and his half-brother were put on trial for Emmett Till's murder but they were acquitted by an all-white all-male jury um and that's just really stuffed up when you think about it like that right so within when you're thinking about a racist and a patriarchal system this Carolyn's white femininity was not a weakness in the situation in the situation it was a weapon because she knew she could always call on white men to protect her um, my goodness and I think what makes it a little bit more complicated and this only came out much much later um, because a duke professor um who goes by timothy b tyson um did a whole research um and wrote a book about this case um and discovered that actually roy was physically abusive to carolyn and so it yeah just it's it's not great so do you see what i mean by carolyn being in this position of being half oppressed and um half accomplished you know being accomplished in the sense that her white femininity meant that she could be protected and nothing could ever ever happen to her i mean emmett till passed away and she couldn't remember exactly what had happened she was able to lie multiple times and never really got called forward for that i mean she changed her story how many times um and protected in that sense but the fact that um you know the fact that she's still a woman and she was living with domestic violence in the household and she was a victim of that too um and in the book actually Uh, Timothy Tyson does note that she was horrified by it, um, and there was um, a great burden of guilt um, and sorrow. But when you think, yeah, just going through this case, you can definitely see why, um, you know, there is that weird tension and i think with karen being a meme it definitely dilutes the seriousness actually of it all because a you know when you are recording um this kind of behavior and it goes viral we have no idea who these people's names are and it's gotten to the point where we're just like so willing to engage in this karen meme and this karen culture we don't know who these people's names are and how else are we going to hold them accountable because i bet you these people are otherwise looked upon as like positive members of society they have jobs well they probably have jobs they you know they they be paying their taxes well i would hope um and they probably do some other thing that society looks upon it's like wow well, they're an automatic great person um, and we need to hold these people accountable you know their workplaces should be questioning their values to have the audacity to even behave like that um, we as a society actually I'm not saying that we're going to cancel the whole person who knows like what that may look like if a company or a workplace decides that's actually we don't want someone like this working for us then I mean like fine that that's what it is i'm not saying that we have to cancel people but all i'm saying is that people should be held accountable for their um actions because if we just kind of let this be a meme and we think it's funny and it's like oh haha you know when do we actually have those serious conversations that lead to change right because if we're not having those conversations and holding those people accountable a, as a society, we are enabling this kind of behaviour. These Karens are like, oh, well, I'll be, na-, you know, I I will be shamed, but I'm not specifically going to be named because I'm just part of this collective group of Karens, <sighs> which I think is not great. I think, you know, in some cases, people have been... Um, fired from their jobs like i remember there was um one case where it was apartment complex and a black woman a black man sorry was getting into his apartment complex and he'd lived there for years and years and years you know like a long time and um this uh pakeha woman came up to him thinking that he couldn't live there you know insinuating that he could never he could he could never afford living there um. He was a threat to security, so she called someone, I can't remember for security or the police, but I remember that video went up, and then afterwards, she lost her job, um, she lost her job from that, um, so I'm not saying it doesn't, it does not happen, but generally, like, we just participate in, like, the Karen culture, and calling people Karens, but we don't really have that critical conversation, and I think that critical conversation is how it originally started like one of the sources um not only was it like the rise of recordings but also it was for the black community to kind of as satire but also in seriousness as well to you know put a label to this behavior that we kind of see and this behavior that stems from entitlement that You know, these people think the world owes them something because of their privilege. Um, And when that doesn't happen, get high and mighty about it and have something to say. Um, And that's where it was meant to come from. But I feel like that's kind of been lost over time. Um, And I think it's really important that we actually do have those critical conversations. Um, Another thing that is problematic about this the whole Karen thing, it I think is actually quite sexist in the sense that where is the male alternative? Because let me tell you, there is definitely men out there who, who behave in the same way that these quote-unquote Karens do. Um, it is not just associated with women because, you know, there are these, um, unfortunately, these false stories out there about women being bossy um as soon as we that we're assertive um that we're loud and crass and crude and emotional and hysterical and all of that bs is kind of insidiously weaved into the Karen narrative and I'm just like excuse me where is the same energy for guys? Because I was, I was searching on the internet trying to find alternatives. Um, there were two alternatives that I was able to find. Um, Chad. Um, and I, it's kind of like an acronym, but I, I forgot what the acronym was. But, you know, Chad, like this charismatic guy. Um, but it's seen in a positive light. Like Chad is someone who is... Um, has that sex appeal is very charismatic um it can be a positive or negative thing but either way there's that charismatic positive sex appeal that's going on but with karen's like the only association is like rude angry middle-aged woman never it does not even have the potential to be seen as a good thing and it's like so much um room for forgiveness and the benefit of the doubt um is given to men which i think is honestly really shitty and it kind of actually makes me question what role does this karen character have in modern daytime activism like like this me as a black woman like how do i bring my pakeha sisters forward into this into this activism space right because not only are we battling racism but also sexism as well like unfortunately these things are still very much a real thing um but how can we all be fighting on the same team when we have karen this term karen that still has one foot in um misogyny it's a weird tension and actually maybe not so modern as well like it just just that case with um Emmett Till it just makes me think of To Kill a Mockingbird um I read To Kill a Mockingbird maybe well over 10 years ago now so forgive me for not remembering um their character's name but you know this woman she was from and I, this is not a spoiler alert. I'm sorry, but if you you should know about To Kill a Mockingbird, you most definitely would have come up in your school readings. Just maybe skip the next couple of minutes if you really don't want me to spoil To Kill a Mockingbird for you. Um, but you should know. And even if you know what happens, it's a really good read. But anyways, this is not a book club podcast, so I'll see, uh, stick with it. So she was uh, from... Uh, not even working class, like, I remember this family was quite poor, and they were, even though they were um, Pākehā, they were still quite um, ostracised from the rest of the community, and there was that shame, and so one of the girls in that family, she lied, um, and um, said that she was um, raped, and that was a lie and Atticus Finch who was the lawyer and the father of um the main person that like the story was written from like the story was written from her point of view but her father Atticus Finch was a lawyer and um very excellent lawyer um and kind of exposed the truth and also, as you read along, you kind of find out that the daughter was, um, a victim of domestic abuse, and it really echoes, um, the case of Emmett Till, and, um, yeah, and that, I can't remember what year that was written, um, but kind of highlights this weird tension as well, like, we know that there are different, like, levels of, pr- of privilege, um, and you can, and it just goes to show that you can still be in a marginalized group, but absolutely, and, and be a victim, quote-unquote victim, in that sense, I use quotes just because, you know, a lot of people, well, there are, there are thoughts out there that people don't want to be associated as a victim and that's totally totally valid um but you know you can be a victim of a lack of privilege in one area but absolutely be um a perpetrator of um violence or of ignorance to another marginalized group and yeah it's just really interesting the tension that exists there um And so, you know, in conclusion, is Karen problematic? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, Should we be more mindful using it? Absolutely, I think. It definitely has become trivialised over the years um, when actually it's kind of begging to have these deeper and more critical conversations, not only just about race, but also sex as well um we don't talk about intersectionality enough and i think um there's that tension between half a person half accomplished and i think if we were able to live in that space more or give ourselves permission to kind of unpack that space more um maybe white fragility among our pakiha sisters would be less sensitive, I feel like, because you know when there is tension, you either embrace it or you deny, deny, deny. Don't you know, just completely ignore it. Um, but it is part of our reality, and so yeah, I think we do need to be more critical of its use and actually make sure that we move beyond the meme and oh, beyond the meme, we move beyond the meme, and actually have those conversations about, um, the, of race and sex that are kind of under the, under the skin, um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about was language, and I, I know that I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but something happened to me the other day, and I, again, kind of found myself, paralyzed about my identity um so someone came into my mahi um same culture as me and you know my afsamali is um so broken like I can definitely understand it but me trying to formulate sentences and then say it out loud that cognitive process is just not there for me um and I think it's been repressed because a um you know my parents were so worried that we just were not going to do well at school when we were younger and they were really worried for us and so they really prioritized um English um you know the assumption always followed us like a bad smell um like I knew English perfectly well but I remember being put into ESOL classes without any kind of consultation and so things like that just made my parents even more worried and so they went you know they really really pushed English on us but also like the rare times that I would speak Af Somali I got teased so badly because I just sounded like a white person and so I felt really insecure about that so you know for multiple reasons those cognitive processes have been repressed and this customer came in and I wish I had, I wish my off Somali was to a standard where I would have been able to help more. Because, you know, living in New Zealand is really confusing. And I think if the assumption is that it's really easy to understand how to go about things. um, But if you're from a different cultural background, even simple things like going to the grocery store so daunting, like, if you're trying to look for something, um, it's, it's hard to, like, find the courage to ask, to understand each other, um, it's, it's really, really hard, so, yeah, I just, I wish I could have been of more help, and, um, it just makes me, like, question, I don't know, my Somaliness, I suppose because. I think and this is very anecdotal by the way i'm not saying it's this is what it's like for everyone but just from all the conversations that i've had in the space with my other migrant friends in the somali community it's actually really really common for migrant kids to speak of somali like if you don't it's kind of seen as a weird thing if you don't like, more often than not, you'll find that Somali migrants will know, migrant kids, sorry, will know their own mother tongue, but compared to other migrant communities, and this is just what I've picked up anecdotally, and I've, and also informed by a wee bit of research, but it seems like in other migrant communities, it's a bit more, um, a bit more mixed, you know, like, yeah, if you do, but if you don't, it's not super uncommon. But yeah, in the somali migrant community, it is kind of seen as a weird thing. Um, I was in an Uber a wee while, like a couple of weeks ago, and my um, Uber driver was um, Somali. And I tried to maintain the conversation as much as I could in Af Somali. Um, So it was a pretty short conversation. And then we had to switch over to English. And, you know, he was just saying, like, you know, if you want to know, like, you need to know the language, it's part of your identity. Kind of insinuating that, you know, you're not really Somali because you don't know the language. And I'm not gonna lie that kind of hurt, and also slightly terrified me because you know when Arthur and I go on to have kids, unless our children spend all their time on earth with my parents, their chances of like understanding, reading, writing, speaking in Af Somali really really low because their their mother cannot um so the motivation to learn over the next couple of years very high um but also learning a whole new language as an adult that would be so strange and it sounds really weird like learning your own mother tongue but at this point I actually have to. Um you know there have been times in the past where I have tried with my parents so I'm like please only speak to me in Afsmali and only um accept um responses in Afsmali from me. But our <laughs> communication was not great whenever I would uh, force those rules and I know that it will be hard before it gets easier but you know over the next couple of years I really really would would love to and if there's anyone out there listening and they had to learn their own mother tongue um as an adult please get in touch I'd love to hear um your story like also like a to have you on the show that'd be amazing but b also just to um about this because it's it's quite difficult actually um but yeah it's just that i identity and how much language plays a role in it is massive and like i have said this before and i know that it's like my choice and i know that i'm i am a somali woman and there are other ways that i can be a Somali woman and this is not the only way to be but I don't know it's it's hard um it is a weird tension and it and I know that once I do get to a point where I can understand um Somali more you know maybe I'll think about this the relationship between language and identity differently I'm not too sure I hope I still stay the same in my um conviction that you can choose how you identify um, and if other people make you feel bad it's just actually their projections um, so I hope I still stay strong in that but one part of me also acknowledges that there probably will be a stronger connection because. I'll actually be able to talk more with my relatives and it won't just be broken conversations that kind of stay on that surface level because neither of us can really bridge that gap with the knowledge of the other language. You know, like some of my relatives do know English, but not a huge amount. And me with my Asmali, like I can understand. But you know what? It's getting to the point now where if someone speaks a little bit too fast, I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't pick up on that 100%, um, but definitely can't vocalize um, that I do understand. So, you know, we're at a crossroad and we can't bridge that gap. And I think once that bridge can be, um, oh, once the gap, sorry, can be bridged, my goodness, my words today, all basic, all basic, all my words all the time. I feel like I say this every single time I record. But anyways, you know, will have a better relationship. And, you know, relationships do play a huge role in your identity. Um, Like if I think about, if I assess my relationship with religion, especially, you know, in the first half of my life, it definitely, my identity or my faith, um, the relationship with religion, Uh, was through my parents like my parents were um the bridge for me and so you know relationships make a play a huge role in your sense of identity or how you you know choose to anchor yourself and so you know I think one part of me is kind of aware of that fact and who knows it's a forever changing thing um It will keep changing and growing as I learn more and more. Um, But yeah, it was just interesting how that's come up recently for me. And um, the last thing that I kind of want to talk about for the last couple of minutes for this episode anyway, is um, just thinking about what's a non-negotiable and what is it that I'm, like open to talking about in the hopes of um learning in the hopes of healthily challenging someone else um and the reason why I was thinking about this is you know it's December it's getting closer and closer to Christmas people are going to be traveling to meet up with family Um, And when I say traveling, I mean, it could be a flight or it could be just walking down the road (laughs) um, to see your family. But, you know, family, people get together with their families. And, you know, overall, it is an exciting time and a positive time. But I can also understand that, you know, there may be some tensions or um, some people actually aren't really looking forward to seeing their family. Um, And this could be because of opposing or different views, sorry, I'm calling myself or it doesn't necessarily have to be opposing, but, you know, views just that don't align. And so sometimes that will lead to conversations that, are, you know, a bit tricky, challenging, uncomfortable. And I think when you are going into that territory, you absolutely want boundaries, right? and for your, you need to know what those boundaries are, and for yourself, it's kind of recognizing what is a non-negotiable, and what am I open to, like, for example, for me, a non-negotiable is believing in human rights, like, I will not waste my breath convincing anyone that, um, marginalized lives matter, like, black lives matter muslim lives matter like i'm just not even going to waste my time talking about that because that is a inherent and fundamental human right that people should be able to to live to live on this earth um and i'm you know and i know for a fact there are people out there who literally believe that you know black lives are just not as important and I'm like that honestly blows my mind but I'm not going to waste my time having those kind of conversations because um it's a non-negotiable for me and it's like upsetting to talk about as well so no that's a non-negotiable for me but on the flip side what I am open to discussing is the the systems and the attitudes that we have that negatively impact um, marginalized groups. Like if you were to believe that, you know, just black lives, they don't matter. I mean, you can hold on to your incorrect opinion as far as I'm concerned but you believing that doesn't actually like you as an individual believing that doesn't impact my life in the sense that i'm out here i'm working um i'm studying i'm living i'm dancing i'm grooving um but what actually does impact my life is the systemic racism that we have the casual racism that we have and all of these behaviors like no i'm not saying all behaviors that we see stem from this one belief but you know I bet you some of those behaviors do kind of stem from that belief that just black lives don't matter so it's actually I'm open to discussing the behaviors and the systems that are actually weigh down on you know marginalized communities I just don't want to talk about human rights because it's very obvious well to me anyway that human rights is something that everyone deserves and it's owed to everyone um, to have access to those human rights, no matter who you are, right? So, you know, as we're entering the season, just have have that conversation with yourself with what's a non-negotiable and what is it that I am learning, that I am open to discussing with other people and it's actually quite empowering to kind of put it down to what those non-negotiables are, because you then realise like, what is it that I'm actually holding on to no matter what? And it's really important to recognise that, right? Because, you know, sometimes you do get into these conversations and that non-negotiable is questioned. And it's so traumatising to have those non-negotiables questioned and then you enter a space where those conversations actually aren't rational, but they're just traumatic and triggering. Um, And so, yeah, figuring out what those non-negotiables are, are amazing and a huge part of all of our personal growth um thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and i'll catch you for the next one thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and good yarns to keep spinning the yarns let us know your thoughts you can find us on facebook and instagram at headscarfs and good yarns or email us at headscarfs and good Yarn at gmail.com